He is risen. Hallelujah. You know, I love that video. It's a gift from our preschool to you guys. It's uh, every year when they make it, it, I just love the perspective that it gives. It's from these little kids seeing the true meaning of the season, the true meaning of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, and my prayer is that it helps us hear a little bit differently. Because when we say he is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, that should be exciting, right? Are you guys excited about that? That's why you're here this morning. There's a few less of us here this morning, so maybe not everybody's excited about it, but we should be. And we get all excited about Easter. We, we celebrate it every single year. It's one of the biggest days as a Christian because Jesus rose from the dead so that he could do what? And we get confused by that part. Well, we... we, we so that he could forgive us, right? And we need forgiveness to be reconciled with our God. That's super important. Yay! And so because of that, we get to go to heaven, which is super big, right? Because there's heaven and there's hell. We want to go to this one, so that's good. But so often, I think we put God and Jesus in this box that says, Jesus won for us forgiveness, and he won for us heaven. And we're not quite else really sure what to put in that box. And so we get all excited about Easter because he did something significant. He did something powerful, but there's so much more that he has for us. There's so much more to the story. Jesus says, I died so that you could, and rose again so you could have a better life, a far better life than you could ever have lived on your own. In other words, so much of the time we try to live under our own power, try to do things in our own power. God says, I got so much for it, more for you. And so today we're going to take another look at one of the gifts, one of the good things, one of the better pieces of the better life that Jesus gives us because he rose on Easter. So it kind of adds to that little thing that you can get excited about when, it, when Easter rolls around next year. And today we're going to talk about how to experience more joy. How many of you guys want more joy in your life? Show of hands. You guys know that joy is different from happiness. You guys still want joy? So Yeah? Okay. So what would you do for joy? Would you pay a sum of money for joy if you could get it? Would you spend some time for joy? If you could spend a certain amount of time to experience joy, would you do it? My guess is you would, right? Because we crave that joy in our lives so much, we'd probably go to the ends of the earth, we'd probably do whatever we could, just so that we could experience joy. Because what do we experience a lot of the time? Not joy, right? The opposite of that. The things that aren't as much fun, the difficulties of life. Life is hard, God is good. The reason God is good, because he gives us things, right? Forgiveness, life, joy. And so today we're going to talk about joy. Did you know for about 70 years, probably longer now, but for about 70 years, Hollywood has been teaching us this myth that if I can just meet the right person, then I will live happily. What? You've heard of it, right? And it's an awesome thing, and it's something that every little girl and, and, and most guys are excited about when they get married, when all those different things. If I could just meet the right person, I'd be happy forever after. How many of you discovered that that actually is a myth, right? Uh, yeah, that, that even if you marry the right person and it's mostly good, right? It's mostly good because you've been trying on it, right? And the and more you try, the more good it can be. And the more you blessed you can be. I had a guy come out to the first service and he says, man, my, I must be the exception. My marriage was perfect. I said, you are the exception. That's fantastic. I said, but there's a lot of people who love being married to the person that they're married to. We just did a, a service yesterday, right? Last night, 50 years of marriage, and they got up to renew their vows, saying, I do it all over again. That's powerful, and that's awesome. And the reason that they can stand there and do that is because they've been working on it for 50 years, and they've experienced some of the joy that comes when you work on it, right? 
But for a lot of people in our culture today, that promise of happily ever after just doesn't kind of materialize in a way that, I don't know, feels like joy. So you may have walked down the aisle fully thinking, I'm going to live happily ever after, but you know, first year, second year, third year of marriage, were you in for a big surprise? (laughs) Apparently I married to another selfish person just like me and they have issues just like me and we've got to figure out how to work together. And this is harder than I thought it was going to be and all those different things. You walk down the the sequence of a wedding usually is aisle, right? You walk down the aisle, altar him, and after the wedding it just becomes aisle, altar him, right? Or you may have started off as the ideal, but your marriage becomes the ordeal, and then you're looking for a new deal. Or the three rings, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. (laughs) Okay, so I share some of those things tongue-in-cheek. All that to say is that marriage is sometimes hard, right? That you have to work at it. Friendships sometimes are hard, and you have to work at it, right? Mom and dad relationships, parent relationships sometimes are hard, and you've got to work at it. We're not just talking about marriage today. We're talking about all relationships. If you want joy in your life, you have to have joy in more than one relationship. It's got to be all of them. Okay? And so he's saying, so life is hard, God is good, and you've got to work on these things to make them awesome. Because the fact is, is that even the best relationships, even the best of the best go through ups and downs. You go through times of intense, just, I love you so much, I can't stand it, till I'm going to be in the other room. Okay? You know, it just kind of swings between the two. Every relationship has difficult times. You're not always going to be happy 24-7 in every relationship. You married a human being. Your friendships, they're human too. So you get sick, right? And people argue. We have misunderstandings. Sometimes people are inconsiderate, right? Sometimes they're working on no sleep. Sometimes these things just don't go right. And now all of a sudden, there's something that you have to, what? Work on. Life is not the constant honeymoon that Hollywood makes it out to be. Some days, to be honest, are just complete disasters. And we know it. And we've been there. And we've been through it. But no matter what the obstacles, whenever we're looking for a relationship, whether it be a marriage relationship, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, a friendship, just dealing with mom and dad or whatever it might be, all everybody says is, I just want to be what? Happy. I just want to be happy. And me too. There's nothing wrong with that. But today I want to talk to you about something that's far better than happiness. I want to talk to you about joy. And those are very two different things, right? You don't need more happiness in your relationship You need more joy in your relationship. And to be fair, that's a lot different from happiness. I did some research. Happiness depends on happenings. Does that make sense? Right? Hence is in the word. It comes from the word hap, which means luck, happenstance. You're just lucky, fortunate, happy. Happiness is external, where joy is internal. Happiness is based on circumstances. And if circumstances change, then maybe I'm not as happy, where joy is based on Jesus. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. So today we're going to take a look at the secret to joy because there is a secret to it. And this is the second in a series of of just experiencing the better life that Jesus talks about. And so today, just to start, just to kind of pull you into this message a little bit, I want to talk about two of the biggest kill joys in our world today. This affects all the relationships that you could possibly have. And if your relationship is struggling, it's because of one or both of these things, I promise you. You'll recognize also both of them. We live in a somewhat me-centric society, so can anybody guess the first one? Selfishness, right? Selfishness. Selfishness is saying, I want what I want, and you want what you want. That's why we're having problems, because we want different things. In James 4, 1 through 2, though, James shares these words of wisdom. He says this, 
Where do all the fights and the quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires, which are constantly fighting with your bodies. You strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, and so you quarrel and you fight. Now, I know you, all your relationships are perfect, but people in your life that you know, right? Anybody know anybody that is constantly bickering with somebody because of this? James is saying that the real root problem of so many of our arguments, relational difficulties that are out there today, is a power struggle, right, between two selfish, insecure people. For a lot of us, right, just to solve our relational issues, you know what the, the best solution I could possibly give you, and you're not going to like it, is grow up, right? Just grow up a little bit. Now, again, not you guys, just people you know, people you know. Think of your friend or think of your mate or think of somebody rather than just yourself all the time. You hear, I th- even though I share that, people say, I have my rights though, Pastor. Don't you think I should have my rights? Absolutely, I think you should have your rights. I just don't think you should focus on them all the time. Because when you focus on all of the time, what do you do? You start competing with people instead of complimenting people. And if you want a great relationship, you've got to figure out how to compliment one another, bring out the best in one another, encourage one another, right? That's what the people we want to be around is the people that bring out our best. If somebody's always nagging at you, always just being critical of you, always being difficult with you, do you want to hang out with them a whole bunch? Not generally speaking. We've got to learn how to compliment people more instead of compete with them so much. And that's true whether you're married or you're talking about friendships or sibling rivalry or, or whatever it might be. But you start asking, well, what causes this? Selfishness. The truth is, I'm naturally self-centered and so are you. It's just the way we're wired, I guess. For instance, and just as a way of proving this, if I were to take a picture of all you beautiful people, all right, I'm snapping it right now, and I'm going to put it on the back wall so you guys can all see as you leave, right? Just like those, when you come down to Disneyland, right? You're going down the log slide, and everybody goes, right, and takes the picture. It's going to be out there. You can all see your beautiful faces. Who are you going to look at first? We're all going to look at the same person, right? Us, us. And we're going to look at that picture, and and we're going to see how we look. And if we're looking pretty good, we're like, that's a good picture right there. And, and, and if our hair's messed up and we got a finger up our nose, we're going to like, yeah, we got to take that down. I, I don't know how that made it up here, but we got to take it down quick. That's a horrible picture. And we say that even if everybody else in the picture looks phenomenal. If it's good of us, it's good. If it's bad of us, it's bad. You want to store, restore joy in your relationship? Here's the secret. Get the focus off of you and get it back on the other people in the relationship. James says, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. In other words, you can't be joyful and jealous at the same time. Selfishness undermines relationships 100% of the time. So get the focus off of you. Staff would back this up, but what I tell staff, I said, man, it is not about you in this job. If a member comes to you, I don't care if they're critical, I don't care if they've hurt your feelings, I don't care if they're yelling. It's not about you. It's about you helping them experience Jesus. It's about you helping them find the answer to their problem. It's about you serving them in some way. It's not about you. You can make it, when you come to me, all about you, and I'll be make it all about you. That's fine. I will be concerned about you. I will care for you. But when it's a member, you are just to make it about them. And when we can do that, guess what? We have a blast in ministry. If I would give you any encouragement in all of your relationships is don't make so much of it about you. Here's another thing. God, when he sent his son Jesus, rose him again, 
God made everything about you. Everything about you. So that he could fill you up, so that he could remind you that he's there, so that he could remind you that you're loved and forgiven and strengthened and given hope. He's given you all this amazing things. He's made it all about you so that you could make it about other people. So that you could show them your love. One of the biggest things that kills our relationships is just pure and utter selfishness. And here's the second one. You'll recognize this one too, not in your relationships, other people's. It's resentment. Resentment says, I won't forgive you. I could stop right there because you just could all take a step back and say, well, that's not a good recipe for building a long-term relationship that's going to be healthy and successful. But people do this all the time, don't we? We get hurt in relationships, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Because you deal with human beings, we misunderstand each other, we have conflict. You're going to be hurt in relationships. It's a guarantee. It's part of life. But it's what you do with that hurt that makes a difference in whether you're going to be joyful or resentful moving forward. Because nothing, not even selfishness, destroys a relationship faster than resentment. James says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Have any of you guys watched a friend or somebody in your life absolutely destroy a relationship because they couldn't forgive? Right? They couldn't let go. And they just kept badgering. They just kept bringing it up. They just couldn't let go. And all of a sudden, there's nothing left of the relationship because they just couldn't let go. I've had people say this, I, I just don't love him anymore, Pastor. I don't have any feelings for her anymore, Pastor. It's empty inside, it's not hate, I just feel nothing. I don't feel anything anymore. And whenever somebody says something like that to me, I know resentment has somehow made its way into that relationship because resentment eats up emotional energy. When all you do is you're just going over and rehearsing that hurt over and over and over again, resenting the fact that they hurt you in the first place, pretty soon you have no emotional energy to deal with anything that's left in that relationship. And you become empty inside. Resentment is a killjoy in relationships. But you say, hey, pastor, it's not what I expected, right? I feel cheated in this relationship. It's false advertising. It's not what I expected it to be. But if you could take a step back just for a second, why do you think you deserve a perfect relationship? Did you know that doesn't exist? It's kind of like unicorns, right? Every relationship has its ups and downs. Every relationship has its stuff that it has to work through. Every relationship requires work. The truth be told, they're probably a little disappointed in you too. <laughs> fact is, is that marriage is built on two very imperfect people trying to work at it. But if you just expect perfection all the time and you don't work at it, you're going to lose your joy. Proverbs 11.29 says, The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing left worthwhile left. Saying if you refuse to forgive, you're ultimately only hurting yourself. And yet, depending on the relationship, you could be hurting a whole lot of other people as well. We talked about this a lot. Resentment always hurts you more than it does anybody else. And so the question becomes this. What is the secret then to experiencing more joy? The secret is perspective. That the way that you look at a problem, the way that you look at your marriage, the way that you look at a friendship, the way that you look at a partnership, the way you look at a problem will determine whether you're miserable or whether you're joyful. I'm going to give you an example of that. Actually, I'll give you 
A couple examples of that, because perspective is absolutely a choice. Anybody ever see the movie Easter Parade? It's an old one. I don't blame you if you don't remember it offhand. We in our family seem to watch it every year. So just watched it yesterday. And at the end of this whole movie, Fred Astaire is in it and all these different people, right? This couple was dancing and they fell in love or whatever. But anyway, they go to celebrate their big show and they go to a place where his ex-girlfriend is. Probably not the place he should have gone, right? But he go there, and so she invites him up on stage to dance, and so this girl, who loves this guy, is watching her boyfriend and his ex-girlfriend dance in front of everybody. They get a big applause, and she bolts, she bolts, because she's hurt. And so she's going, she's, she's kind of, the last part of the, the whole movie is she's kind of sad, she's kind of sad when a friend comes and gives her a renewed perspective about how to look at it. And so she does a 180, flips from focusing on her to focusing on him, and she makes it better in an instant. the movies, right? Makes it better in an instant, and the guy's so overwhelmed by her grace of just changing the, the whole view of things that that's the end of the movie. I'll give you another one, too. I, I read this letter one time from a kid to his parents from college. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dorm was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say that my eyesight should return sooner or later. This wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so it won't be surprising, Mom, when I tell you that we're going to be married. In fact, since you always wanted a grandchild, you'll be glad to know that next month you'll be grandparents. The bottom of this letter, it read this way. Please disregard the above practice in English composition. Dad, there was no fire. I have not been in a hospital. Mom, I'm not pregnant. I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry. And I wanted to make sure that you receive this news with the proper perspective, right? <laughs> if you're the mom and dad, you're reading this, you're like, oh, it's just grades. Okay, I have a different kind of view of that. Had you just read the grades at the beginning, you'd be furious. Now you're a little bit tempered. Why? Because of perspective. It could be way, way worse. And perspective makes all the difference in life as we go through it. Whether you're going to be joyful or whether you're going to be miserable, whether you're going to be enraged or whether you're going to be like, okay, it could have been worse. It's what you focus on. And so what's the key to perspective that gives joy to our relationships? What does that look like? And this is the perspective the scripture gives us. It's not going to be easy, right? But it is God's truth and it does make a difference in our relationships and it's this. There is more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that very thing in Acts 20, verse 35. And God is just saying here that we need to get to the point in our life where we focus on other people first, on the other person first, not always on ourselves. For example, there's a lot of what people call love today that isn't really love, is it? I'll give you some examples of that. Love, for instance, is based on giving. Lust is based on getting, isn't it? Love can always wait to give, but lust can never wait to receive. And so a lot of so-called love songs on the radio today aren't really love songs, they're more lust songs. And so you start asking why so many marriages are falling apart today, why so many people aren't getting married, why the divorce rate is just becoming more and more extreme. And it's because society has trained us to do the exact opposite of what love is. Society says, look out for number one heard that, right? 
But scripture says that's just a great way to be miserable. Society says, I've got to do what's best for me. Scripture would say, who said? Again, it's another way, great way to be miserable, to just be concerned with yourself, to be self-centered. Did you know, I, I've studied a lot of psychology in my life. It was majored in in college. You know, the more a person turns inward and focuses on themselves, the more messed up they get. Just a reality. And as we talk about in this me-centric society, you've got to turn inward. You've got to turn inward. No wonder everybody's in their mother's going to a counselor or needs one. Society says, what's in it for me? And all of a sudden, if there's nothing in this relationship that's left for me, I'm going to bail. And we see this all around us. But it's also why Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 7, learn to put aside your own desires so that you can become patient and godly. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. And notice it says we've got to learn this. That this isn't something that comes naturally to you or to me or to anybody. We need to learn how to put our own desires aside so that we can give the love that God calls us to give to other people. But the problem is, as relationships grow, after we got them established, we just don't put as much effort or work into them as we used to. For example, I came across this just illustration the other day. It's called the five stages of the marriage cold. First year, Baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle that you have. I've called the paramedics to have them take you to the hospital for a checkup and get some rest. I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm going to bring the meals from Olive Garden every single night so that you're happy. Second year. Sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Johnson to come and make a house call. Please let me tuck you into bed. I love you. Third year. You look like you got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself down to the Metastop and... Take it some medicine, and I'll watch the kids. Fourth year, look, be sensible. After you fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you ought to go to bed. Fifth year, for Pete's sake, would you stop complaining? Man said, I used to come home, and my wife brought me slippers, and the dog came a-barking. Now the roles are reversed. But this is ultimately the choice that we make, isn't it? God says, focus on giving rather than receiving. I mean, if you wonder why there's no joy in your relationships anymore, the answer is because this focus suddenly has gone from you trying to serve them, care about them, wonder about how they're doing, to how is it that everybody can serve me? And joy, God says, comes from making other people happy. Joy doesn't come from making me happy. Joy comes from making other people happy. It's why we get so geeked out when we think we got the perfect Christmas gift, right? It's why we get so geeked out and excited when we do something that we know matters to somebody. God designed us this way. God wired us this way. You say, when I get home, though, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm exhausted. I don't have anything left to give, and I I get that. I, I know how you feel. But again, it outlines for us why we need God, right? why we need more Jesus in our life. When we continue to try to do life, forgetting that we have a God, trying to do life on our own power, trying to do life on our own wisdom, we miss out on some of the extra stuff that God wants to give us. That's why we need his power, to give us a love when human love and energy runs out. God has so much more to our life than what we've been living. 
He wants us to have this better life, but we need to be reminded of his grace, of his mercy, of his love, so that we can give that same kind of love to other people, that same kind of grace, mercy, and forgiveness, right? It would help us deal with that whole resentment thing that seems to clog up our relationships. We need a power that reminds us that in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our mess-ups, in spite of our sins, that he is there and he loves us and he cares for us and he is giving everything to us so that we can be sustained and strengthened to deal with life as it comes, to invest our lives in other people. We need to be reminded that he forgives and that he strengthens and that he renews and that ultimately that he is the only one that can give us the power to keep on keeping on, to give us the power to actually experience joy in our lives. We need to add something to this box that we say that Jesus matters about. It's not just forgiveness, it's not just life in heaven, but it's joy here on earth. I asked at the beginning, is there anything you wouldn't give? Is it, I'm sure there's a money cap or a time cap, but is there anything you wouldn't do to experience more joy in your life? God says it's this. It's trusting that I've got you so that you can pour into other people and that will give you joy. It's one of the gifts of Easter. It's one of the things that he wants you to experience more of. And it's his gift to you today. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God, we love you so much. And I love that we get to talk about Jesus again. I, I love that we can be reminded, Lord, of some of the extra gifts, some of the better life that you've offered us on this earth. I think so often we just try to go through our, our own power and our own wisdom and kind of we get what we get, Lord. Life is hard. But then we're reminded that you are good. Father, give us a trust so that we can experience more peace in our life. Give us a strength to keep pouring out into others so that we can experience more joy in our life. Give us a reminder of your promises so that we can have more hope in our life. And then remind us of Easter so that no matter what, we know that there's no sin that can outsend your love for us or your grace for us. That we're forgiven, that we're yours, and that you love us. Father, give us that reminder today in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.